Our scripture passage this morning is found in the book of Genesis, chapter 22, verses 1 and 2. In the Pew Bible, this is on page 14. So I'll begin with verse 1. Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. And he said, Take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. This is the word of the Lord. Come to the final message from this series on Abraham called That's Why They Call It Faith. And I don't know if it would be most proper to say I have enjoyed studying this and preaching it. I appreciate the feedback that that I've received. I don't know if enjoy is the right verb. I've been troubled and disturbed and challenged by this series, and I guess that's what we might well need. David just read from verses 1 and 2, and verse 1 begins, sometime later God tested Abraham. I read that phrase again this week, and I thought, oh, really? Sometime later. You know, I really think what that means is sometime after his last test, Because again, as we've gone through this series, I hope you come to appreciate Abraham went through one test after another. And sometimes, yes, he stumbled and fell just like you and I do. Sometimes he failed miserably, but other times throughout it all, he remained faithful. But my goodness, and he's well over 100 years old. Don't you think he's been tested enough? Isn't it time to retire and rest and have a break? Sometimes it seems God's most faithful get tested the most, and sometimes that is the case, and I guess that's why they call it faith. But some might think, oh, lucky Abraham, he gets to be the father of a nation that leads to so many nations, and he gets to be the father through which eventually Jesus Christ is born through that tribe. But I think, really? Would you be willing to go through all the trials that he faced? You know, just rolling back and thinking of a few, you know, it was a test when he was 75 years old, And God told him to turn west from his hometown of Ur and go out and away from that comfort and that familiarity and that security of his hometown to an unspecified place. It was a test when there was a famine in the land and he went down to Egypt. It was a test when his selfish nephew Lot said, I want that good strip of land. And Abraham had the scraps left over for himself. It was a test when he prayed for Sodom and Gomorrah. It was a test... When Hagar was sent out into the wilderness, it was a test when he had to say goodbye to his son Ishmael for the last time and never see him again on earth. It was a test when he waited 25 years after being promised a son, and yet it was a mighty long wait until he was born. All his life seemed to be a test, at least the latter part of it. Sometimes we can feel that way, and yes, that's why they call it faith. But now this. This most troubling passage in the whole Abraham narrative. Sacrifice my only son. Sacrifice my son whom I love so much. Now let's just be honest. We'll do anything for our kids. Whether they're our biological kids or extended family kids. uh, Just kids who mean a lot to us. Whom we mentor. We will do anything for them. We want to give them a good upbringing and be good examples. We want them to have ample goods and clothes and opportunities and if we can take them on trips and eventually pay for braces if we have to and pay for college and pay for weddings or whatever else it might be take them on outings we want to protect them we'll do anything for them 
And the fact that we love them so deeply and so desperately makes this passage all the more difficult to accept. It's really disturbing in a lot of ways. In a way, we fear this story because of what it asks. It's a story that's hard to imagine, but it's there in the Word of God, and so we need to unpack it. And what is important when we really face up to this passage are at least two very important questions that we've got to ask ourselves as we get to this climactic point in the Abraham story. First of all, ultimately, whom do you trust? Do you trust your own reason or do you trust God and have faith in Him even when He calls you to do something you think is unimaginable, perhaps undoable, something that is so uncomfortable? Do you trust your own reason or do you trust God's call to faith, because this story, I think perhaps more than any other in Scripture, represents this clash, this conflict between reason and faith. Abraham had lived by the promise of God, but this, this command contradicted the promise. Reason told Abraham, you kill Isaac, you kill the promise. And yet, yet faith said, Abraham, be faithful. God will provide in some way, even though you do not see it. Reason versus faith. And really what God is testing Abraham on is, you know, when everything else is stripped away, when everything else is gone and all you have is faith, will you be faithful? When everything else is gone, will you trust God regardless? Now, now, did God actually desire to, to have, you know, Isaac physically killed? Well, no, of course not. God didn't want a physical sacrifice of Isaac. He was looking for a spiritual sacrifice on the part of Abraham. You know, would Abraham trust God and be willing to, as that beautiful prayer that, that Keith uttered, you know, would he be willing to lay his Isaac down spiritually? And, and one thing I think we don't appreciate from this text, it says to us that, that Abraham had time to think about this. He didn't say, go right now and sacrifice Isaac on an altar. He said, go to Mount Moriah. Now think about that. Mount Moriah is 42 miles away. It's a three-day walk from where they are now. He has three days to reflect upon this, to agonize over this privately. No doubt in my mind, he did not tell Sarah about this command. Obviously, he didn't tell Isaac. Martin Luther speaks movingly about this in a sermon he preached on this very passage, how Abraham was struggling to keep it private from everyone else and how he must have been weeping inner tears, the inner tears he must have been shedding, trying to keep this to himself as he agonized over this, realizing the depths of this sacrifice if God was serious about it. I wonder if lately you've been on a road to Moriah in some way. You've been walking along and you know that God wants you to do something. He wants you to give up something that you might walk more fully with him, that you might be more obedient to him, that you might do something new for him. But it's hard to let go of something. <laughs> You're having to sacrifice something yourself. I don't know what it is, but it's something you need to change, something you need to do, something you need to stop doing, whatever it might be. And God's calling you to do that, but it's so difficult to let go of something. I don't know if any of you have heard of Ni Shu Tzu was his... Chinese name, we know him as Watchman Nee. Has anybody heard of Watchman Nee? He was an amazing leader of the Chinese church. He was imprisoned 
for the last 20 years of his life because of his faith in Christ and his refusal to stop proclaiming the gospel. Spent the last 20 years of his life in prison and the only person who could ever visit him on occasion was his wife. That was the only person he ever saw. He was in isolation. Imagine that. One time he said this, God sometimes fills our hands with good things, precious gifts, and our hands are filled. And then God reaches down and says, I want to put my hand into your hand for fellowship, for relationship, and for guidance to guide you as you go. But your hands are full. And so God has to take something out of your hand so he can place his hand in yours. And sometimes it is something precious. Sometimes it is a gift. And that word gift really takes us to a deeper level. It is important to ask the question, whom do I really trust? And am I going to overcome my issues with reason and really move out there into the mysterious dimension of faith where I do not see it all? Am I willing to trust not my own reason ultimately, but God's leadership? But it takes us to another level when we hear the word gift. And this is the second question I want you to haunt yourself with. What do you love more? Do you love your gifts from God? Or do you love the God who gave you those gifts? And don't answer too quickly. (laughs) Ask yourself that honestly this morning. Do I love, am I grateful for all these gifts that God has given me? Or am I genuinely, honestly, authentically even more grateful? Even more worshipful of the God who gave them to me? Is it the gift or is it the giver? And some might say, well, that's a subtle distinction. No, I would say that's a decisive distinction. You know, at this point in his life for Abraham, you know, everything must have been all about Isaac, this long-awaited son. No doubt he did everything to take care of him and be with him and just simply celebrate him and dote on him. But was Abraham's life even more about God? That's what God wanted to know. Is it ultimately about God, supremely about God, the giver? and more than this incredible gift. What did Abraham love more, the gift from God or the God who gave the gift? There's a fellow named Craig Barnes who's a wonderful pastor at National Presbyterian Church in Washington, D.C. He's now president of a seminary in Pittsburgh. But while he was pastor there in D.C., he was just finishing up the last session of a premarital counseling meeting with a young couple, wonderful young couple, And they were only a few weeks away from the wedding. They had already put the finishing touches on the ceremony and all. And things seemed to have gone fine. But at the very end of this last meeting, the groom-to-be blurted this out. He said, I just have to say I am so scared of this. And by the way, that really got the attention of his bride-to-be. He said, what do you mean? He said, oh, no, not you, honey, not you at all. I'm not afraid of being married to you. And he said this, I'm afraid of losing you. You remember when my mom died and I was so overwhelmed with grief and it was so traumatic and I love you even more in so many ways and I just don't know how I could ever survive if something happens to you. And then he looked at Craig, his pastor, wanting some words of assurance. And I just want to read what Craig said as far as his response. He said, I could tell from his pleading eyes that he wanted me to reassure him that they were both young and healthy and that he needn't worry about such things. But I couldn't say that. Because I have buried too many young people. So I said, in my experience, 100% of all marriages come to an end. Some tragically through divorce or early death. 
Others last for 60 years. If your marriage is long and filled with intimacy, then when death comes, you're going to be even more in love than you are now. Then that will hurt even more when you say goodbye when the time finally comes. And that's the best scenario you've got. So why do you want to go through marriage wondering if this is the day you'll use your beloved? Why don't you give her up today? That's good. Why don't you give her up today? Get the grieving over with. Die to your right to have her. Die to your fear of losing her. And die to the myth that you can keep her. Until you do, you'll be too afraid to enjoy her. Now that's not what this fellow wanted to hear. But it's truth. You know, on this side of eternity, it's the only thing a pastor really can genuinely say that is truthful. Because the truth is, your greatest gift is your eternal relationship with God. And at the end of all days, that's what you've got. Now, am I saying, oh, you'll never have community with people in the life beyond? No, I'm not saying that at all. You will. But in the long run, when you come to the last breath that you breathe in this life, it's your relationship with God the sovereign Lord of all things, through your relationship with his son, Jesus Christ, that lasts, and that's it. So again, is that what is most important to you right now? Or are you walking on that road to Moriah, not really ready to lay your Isaac down, to really lay down your great gift, that he might hold you even more closely and do amazing things with you? I I learned this personally most Poignantly, and some of you know this, through John Claypool, who was my pastor when I was young. He became the rector over here, as you know, at St. Luke's Episcopal for many years. And I remember, and some of you know the book, Tracks of a Fellow Struggler. Has anybody seen that or read that? It's an amazing book, and it ministers to a lot of people who are going through grief if they've lost someone. And it really chronicles his losing his daughter, Laura Lou, who was my age. In fact, we were in school together. And it talks about when she died, she was 11 years old, and it was just so, so sad, and and John was so despondent. I'll never forget when he came back up to the pulpit for the first time about a month after she died, and he preached that incredible sermon called Life is Gift. Just an amazing piece of work. And more recently, I actually interviewed him for a preaching journal, and we reflected on that because what helped heal him in the midst of that loss and that despair was going back and reading this very story about Abraham and Isaac. And it dawned on him as he researched it, he said, I realized that God wanted to find out if Abraham remembered where Isaac came from. That was the bottom line. Did he remember where Isaac came from? Did he remember what a gift Isaac was from the living Lord? As he said to me sometime later, did he remember that Isaac was a grace Or did he think that Isaac was a possession to which he was entitled? And and, and coming out of the pain, John came to realize that just like Isaac was such a gift to Abraham, even though he lost Larlow, he realized what a gift she was, just sheer, pure gift, as he said. And, And to expand that, he realized that all of life is gift. All of life is sheer gift. And he realized that he could either spend the rest of his life being angry and resentful that Laura Lou's life was cut short, or he could give thanks and be grateful, so grateful that she had ever been given to him at all. That wasn't easy. But again, that was his means of, again, putting things in the proper perspective and remembering who was the giver of that incredible gift of his daughter. 
Unfortunately, she will continue to be that gift. She was a Christ follower. And yes, there will be glad reunion between them. In fact, that reunion has already taken place because John passed on a few years ago. And it reminds us that if you confess that you trust that there will be eternal life beyond this one, that that relationship with Christ presses on, there's no separation. And because of that, we are reminded that that's the only relationship ultimately that matters in order for us to get to that place. So let me bring it back to you. You know, what do you love more, the gifts you've been given or the giver? If you were to answer honestly, again, don't answer that too quickly. In fact, you might need to leave here and make a journey yourself to Moriah and really ask yourself that question for three days, four days, a week. Who knows? But ask yourself that question. Is it the gifts you've been given or the giver? You read on with the story, and Isaac, Abraham's son, carries the wood. He is the one who carried the wood to that sacrificial altar. But eventually Isaac was spared. Fast forward many years, Jesus carried wood to another sacrificial altar. And he could have been spared. He could have spared himself. He chose not to. Why? In order to spare you and me. Did we deserve to be sacrificed for our sin? The word of God says, yes, indeed. But he took it on himself for us. Took it on for us. Once when they were having family devotions, Martin Luther gathered his family around and it was the evening to read from Genesis 22, this very story of Abraham and Isaac. And he read those first two verses of this passage and his wife Katie interrupted him and said, I don't believe it. God would not have treated his son like that. And Martin Luther looked at his wife and said, Katie, he did. I talked about Watchman Nee a moment ago, who spent his last 20 years in a Chinese prison because he dared to proclaim the gospel even when it endangered him. Only his wife could visit on occasion. At the end of his life, he had fallen ill, and they found the last letter he ever wrote. And it was written on the day that he died. And this is the way he closed it out. In my sickness, I still remain joyful at heart. Think about that. God's been in prison in isolation in horrid conditions for 20 years, and he says he remains joyful at heart. How could he say that? No doubt this is one who knew the giver and loved the giver more than the gifts, even the meager gifts that he had. Think about that. The day that he died, it was May 30th, 1972, and Watchman Nee's niece came to get whatever belongings he had, which wasn't much at all. And she was getting ready to leave, but a guard stopped her and informed her that he found this scrap of paper by the bed on the day that he died. And this could well have been the very, very last thing that he wrote. And this is what it said. Christ is the Son of God who died for the redemption of sinners and was resurrected after three days. This is the greatest truth in the universe. I die because of my belief in Christ, signed Watchman Nee. It is the greatest truth in the universe. Think about that. And it's the greatest gift in the universe. Have you claimed that for yourself again as of late and given thanks for the giver with a willingness to sacrifice all for him?
like for us to enter into the discipline of meditation, if you'll bow your heads and close your eyes. And I want to ask, going, going back to that prayer that Keith prayed just a moment ago, would you be willing to lay your Isaac down, that thing which is somehow precious to you, somehow important to you, something that's really got a grip on you in some way, but you need to place that in God's hands so that he can place his hand in yours, that you might follow him more legitimately, follow him more authentically, more genuinely than you have been. And again, you might be on the road to Moriah and you are agonizing yourself over some decision. You're agonizing over something you've got to give up, something you've got to stop, something new that you need to do. Whatever it might be, would you be willing right now to give that up? It might be uncomfortable. It might be difficult transition. It might even cause you some pain. But would you be willing to give it up for him that you might truly proclaim he's Lord of your life? We, we, we throw that phrase around to where it becomes a worn out, empty, hollow church phrase. When was the last time you gave something up that was a sign to yourself and to him and perhaps even to others that he is indeed Lord of your life? Are you willing to sacrifice whatever it is that he would be truly your Lord? Take just a moment, if you would, and whatever it is you need to offer up to God as a prayer, take a moment to do that right now. Lord, we are all Abrahams in here. We have stumbled and fallen way too many times. And though we don't deserve your grace, we will embrace it once again. And we thank you for it. But help us, O oh God, to embrace it when at the same time we are opening our arms, opening our hands to you. Some of us in here are really struggling with something. Something that's, that's causing us confusion or despair or frustration something that, that's difficult because we don't see how things are going to shake down in the long run. We don't see how things are going to pan out. And it's hard. It's hard to be a people of faith. And yet that's why they call it faith. We need your strength. We need your power within us. So may your spirit move within us and through us in a way it challenges us all the more to follow you as we should. Please, oh God. Even if we feel empty and weak, give us the will to ask daily that we might follow you more as we should. We pray these things in your name. Amen.